It's obviously focusing mostly on the Chambon Musigny vineyards and mostly at Premier and Grand Cru level. But we can't do a, a, a Fred event without looking at the Clos de la Maréchale, given that that's 10 fourteenths of his holdings, or five sevenths if you prefer. But <clears throat> suddenly overnight in 2004, the domain went from being four hectares to, uh, to 14. Um, it used to be more than four hectares back in the distant past, but a few things got sold off along the way. They used to have a bit of Clos Bougeau, uh, and they had slightly more of Amarez, Bonmire, and Musigny. But um, when of Frederick's grandfather's generation, uh, there were seven children, and though the family managed to buy most of the shares, there was one uncle, great-uncle, uh, who was a bachelor, who bequeathed uh, his shares to uh, to his girlfriend, Madame Adrien of the Dijon Opera, and um, and she then kept them for a bit and then sold them off elsewhere. So they went to Drouin, which explains why in those three vineyards, the Drouin holdings are often next door to the Munier holdings. Um, good. We are all, everybody is there. All present and correct. Jasper, is, um, hmm? is, is it true that Frederick, the morning that uh, he received back the vineyard, he was knocking down the Fabius side and putting up the Munier side? Uh, yeah, yes, pretty much. Um, and he had already had the new labels uh, had been printed two years before it even happened. Um, and the lovely thing, if you look at the bottle of um, the Clos de la Marechale, you will see what appears to be a misprint in the word La, Claude de La Maréchal, where the A appears to be back to front. And that's because the guy who did the metal sign over the gate had got it wrong on the metal sign. So rather than having him redo it, he thought it was quite amusing, and uh, he, he made the labels reflect that. Oh, he would just please as punch when it was all coming back. And uh, that first vintage, 2004, which is, as you know, a pretty difficult vintage in Burgundy, he nonetheless made a, a marvellous wine. So you've got two 15s to compare, the Clos de la Maréchale and the Chambon Musigny. So we don't expect to get the same sort of style of wine out of the Saint georges as we do out of Chambon. But there are two reasons why it's a bit different in this case. One is because it's Frederick who is making the wines up in Chambon uh, and in exactly the same style that he makes to Chambon. So he doesn't attempt to do anything different because it's Mouis Saint georges and secondly, where this vineyard is, in the southernmost section of Nui, uh, in the village called Premo, uh, it's the very first Premier Cru. You go straight from Cote Nui village into Premier Cru Nui Saint-Georges with this vineyard. It's the big biggest monopoly at crew level in the Cote d'Or, uh, just under 10 hectares. So, you know, bigger than Clos de Tar, Clos de Lombre, any of the DRC um, monopolies and so on and so forth, um, or anybody else's Premier Cru's. Um, but the soil type is very different here at the southern end of Nuit Saint-Georges than it is further north, and you don't get the rich, dark, deep, slightly tannic wines. Um, there's a shallower soil. Uh, the wines are naturally lighter in colour unless somebody's vinification deliberately changes that. It's important not to extract them, even though Fred would have done it anyway because it's his temperament. He's actually quite right to uh, vinify something from this end of Nuit Saint-Georges in a Chambol style. Uh, 2015, of course, we know, is uh, a lovely year, a near-perfect year. Um, Frederick doesn't always like the near-perfect years because there's less to say about them. 
but uh, he has been very comfortable with the 2015s he made. Um, I won't have tasted them very recently, um, and of course not tasting them today, so you're going to have to give me an indication of what they're like. Um, when he serves the Clé de la Maréchal, you might expect him to do it uh, right at the start, before the line of Chambord Muselis, but he actually often does it much later in the piece. Um, sort of, it, it varies. It, it, he doesn't always stick to the same uh, place, but it's it's um, a wine that is very close to his heart. Um, and he's not disenchanted with Chambord per se, but he's disenchanted with the uh, aspect of modern wine appreciation where everybody wants to have the most famous names, like Musigny, Beaumont, Amarez, and so on. Uh, and Marichal enables him to make a big volume of something which he personally likes very much and is never going to get sort of vast prices in the secondary market, partly because there's so much of it, partly because Mise Saint-Georges doesn't do that anyway. So your thoughts on the two first two wines, anyone? I, I find the, the Marichal very, very approachable. More so than the Chambon? I do, yeah. I, I definitely do. They're, they're, they're very together. Yeah, there's more sort of, there's a grip, there's slightly darker fruit on the Mar Marichal. I think you said there is a lightness of touch that, that is the common thread that you see through the wines, but the Chambon does have probably a bit more flesh. Yeah. Uh, right, more flesh in the Chambon, yes. Yeah. The Chambon, it's worth saying that the Chambon Musigny is made up of um, nearly half and half, slightly more half what is genuinely uh, village Chambon in the plot called Com d'Orvo, which sort of um, it's just behind Echezo on Orvo, separated from the rest of Chambon Musigny vineyards, in fact. And then it heads back up the valley. And the three people who have vineyards there are Minier, Grivo, and Anne Gros. Uh, so that count, that's 0 0.77, and then 0 0.56 is a premier crew called Les Plantes, um, which is very much a, you know, a second division premier crew, um, and he's not the only person to declassify. I think um, Christophe Rumier has got a little bit of Plantes as well that uh, uh, stays in the village, uh, Chambon. Almost all the domain is quite old vines. Um, in the case of um, the village Chambon, the Comdorvo bit is planted at different ages between 1952 and 1998, and Le Plante is planted in 68 and 69. So, uh, you know, the average age is going to be 50, 60 years old for uh, uh, for this cuvee. And that's going to be more or less true uh, uh, throughout of, of what he's got. So he doesn't use a lot of new oak, um, typically not much more than 20%. Uh, he definitely doesn't want the flavour of new oak in his wines. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a pretty non-interventionist form of winemaking. Um, and then uh, down they go to barrel for about a, a year and a half before bottling, and then they're released a bit later. He's not one of those who does the January Prima uh, offerings of his wines, so he waits till everything's in bottle, which has the advantage that uh, he doesn't get caught out by a uh, a barrel that goes wrong or something like that um and uh so that they're offered at some point later in the year or well, the second year after uh, after the harvest and is, is the always uh released much later that's released much later uh, uh five years later so um 
the 2013, I think, was released at the same time as the other wines in 2018. So 14s for the 19s and 15s for the with the 20. Um, which in a lighter year is, is a good thing because from five years on, you can begin to think about trying the Musigny. But um, it means that uh, in, a, in a major year, there he's releasing the Musigny at a time when he really should definitely still keep it for quite a lot longer. Voila. Um, any any further thoughts or questions relating to, to the first two wines? I personally think the Chambol is, is one of the sweet spots up there at the domain. It's a, it's a wine that I've sort of tried to go on buying for myself um, fairly consistently. Sorry. Yes. So, again, just to repeat, the winemaking, as you said, um, is identical for the uh, Marichal versus uh, all yeah. the Chambol. It's pretty much identical throughout his entire uh, range of red wines. Um, I've, you've probably heard me say this before, but uh, uh, there was a thing that used to be on his website. I'm not sure if it's still there. An interview with a pianist, because um, uh, Fred is very musical, in fact. But it was an interview with the pianist Glenn Gould, in which the journalist... Uh, involved, um, who was a huge fan of his, played back an early recording saying, it's incredible how wonderful you were right at the start. And Glenn Gould said, no, too much piano playing, i.e. there was too much human intervention. And uh, Frederick has sort of uh, said the same thing about winemaking. You don't want too much winemaking. It, it, it should just come intuitively rather than being uh, forced on the wine. So... Um, the other thing, uh, just a little bit historically about the domain, uh, the Mignot family um, moved to Chambon Musigny, their first purchases in 1863. They live in this beautiful house that some of you will have seen um, up towards the top of the village, which is the Chateau de Chambon Musigny. Um, and the money came from uh, doing various forms of alcoholic drinks. Uh, at a, uh, Their business was based in Dijon, I think. Uh, so there'd be things like absinthe and various um, uh, fruit liqueurs and so on and so forth. And if you go to Frederick's house, you will see um, sort of more than full length posters on the walls going all the way up the stairs um, in a sort of art deco style. It's, re it's really lovely. Um, so that provided the money. Uh, but they never themselves were the winemakers until... Um, uh, Frederick came back in uh, 1985. Um, they'd had a long um, rental agreement with the House of Faverley for all their vineyards, um, which uh, most of them, apart from Claire Le Marichal, uh, finished in 1979, 78, 79, uh, at which point the Muniers wanted to take their vineyards back and break the um, contract, at which point they then had it, had to um, cede their Clos-Bougeau to um, Faverley. And also, they gave another 25-year uh, contract to Faverley on Clos de la Marichal. So 79 takes us through to 2004. But they got back full control of the Chambol vineyards, um, which for the first seven years or so were um, managed by Bernard Clare, the father of Bruno Clare. And then after that, after the 84 vintage, so ready to make the whole 85 growing season, Frederick started doing that. 
but he also had a full-time job as an airline uh, pilot uh, for a subsidiary of Air France. And he did that for another uh, 10 years or so before um, coming back to the domain full-time because his vineyard worker was retiring and he's already thinking ahead to when he would be getting the Clé de la Marechale. And so they started increasing the size of the cuvery and rethinking how they did the vineyards and so on and so forth. He's uh, obviously, uh, you know, one of the good guys in the vineyards and that he's not using the herbicides and pesticides, but he's not specifically organic and he's rather against biodynamics. Um, but he just wants to obviously make the wines and grow the, grow the vines as naturally as you can. Um, it's a frightening thought, I find, if you look at the Claude la Marechale, which is, as I say, 10 hectares, that means that if you started in one corner and walked up a row of vines, turn around at the end and walk down the next row and then up the third row and down the fourth. If you did that for the whole vineyard, you would in fact walk 10 kilometers, um, which is scary. So you can imagine what the vineyard workers have to do uh, to keep that all in, in good control. Okay, uh, I think your next two wines are both from 2016, that most uh, uh, tricky vintages after the frost. Um, and one is called Chambon Musigny Trente Beurre, theoretically village wine. Um, but in fact, it includes, uh, I think I'm right in saying, three barrels of um, Musigny, because in 16, there, there are two plots of Musigny, one of which is uh, pruned and trained in the standard Guillot style, and one of which is in a cordon style. And the Guillot style really suffered from the um, frost, and he didn't think that the result was good enough to make Musigny. So he declassified that into the Chambon, and uh, the other of which only made three barrels, but there are three barrels of actual Musigny as well in um, 2016. Um, and the 32 name refers to the fact that this was um, Fred's 32nd vintage at the Domaine. So 85 through to 16, including the years at both ends, makes 32. So, so you're going to get a sort of... a. Um, a village plus wine there. And then, of course, there's the Amoreurs, um, which I remember thinking when I tasted it from barrels was pretty concentrated stuff. So um, have a look at those two and uh, report back. Yeah. Well, there is serious power in 16. Uh, it, it's not like any other vintage that I know. Uh, and the whites, you'll probably remember, I don't like very much. But the reds, I really do like. Uh, but they don't taste like anything else. It, it is quite noticeable versus, like you said, but it really is noticeable versus the 15. Really? That that real, that, that serious intensity, uh, quite sort of piercing intensity coming through on the nose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a lot yeah, I gave it uh, 94 to 98 points in my sort of barrel tasting for the Amoreurs. Uh, and then he hadn't at that point actually blended together um, the, the Chambol Trente d'Eur. So I, I don't have a, a tasting note that, that specifically covers that. Uh, 98, in fact, was the first um, vintage that was uh, him full time, not 95, I apologize. 98. And definitely the wines have become a lot more consistent since he is back full time. 
So uh, I'm expecting the Amarez to be a more complete wine because the, um, the other one is 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 you know collected from different places, a bit of the Plant Premier Cru, a bit of um, uh, the straight Chambol Village, and then the the uh, bit of the Musnier. Uh So I don't know how coherent it will be as a wine. It may very well be, but uh, uh, don't have recent experience. Um, the sixteen Lizard, that, that <laughs> nose is just like cashmere. It, it, it smell, it's so, it's class, so smooth, and it's interesting. The trinder is very impressive, but it's impressive because of that power. But I think you put it right: is that it's lots of different parts, perhaps a little competing with each other. While the Lizam is just like a wave, just flows. Oh, it's spectacular. Good, good, good. So. Um... <clears throat> Oddly enough, in Les, <coughs> Les Amoureux, not a lot of people know this, but there's a bit of Les Amoureux, which is above the road and therefore adjacent to Musigny, whereas the rest is below Musigny. And uh, Frederick has two plots, one above and uh, and one below, as I mentioned, in both cases next door to Drouin plots. Um, I'm not aware that there is a significant difference in style of the wine from two, the two. There is a further bit of Amaraz, which is even further down the slope, that belongs um, as part of the Groffier holdings, which uh, I think probably is slightly different. Um, but uh, I, I believe that Frederick's two, uh, two holdings are, are fairly consistent. Um, vineyards planted between 1954 and 66. So uh, at the time of the 2016, even the younger parcel was, was 50 years old. And it, it, it's a wine I consistently like very much. And the joy of Amarez is you can get a lot of pleasure out of it young, even though it will age as well as any other top vineyard. But it's often hugely seductive right away. Okay. Ready for the next round? Which is a trio of Les Fuets. Um, and this another is another of the real sweet spots for me in the in Frederick's lineup. Um, so Fuet is a premier crew that sits adjacent to Bon Mar. The first very small part of Fuet is actually a very, very similar soil to Bon Mar. And then after that, it becomes more typical of the rest of Chambord Musney, um, more in the classic, pure, um, very fine and elegant style. Uh, whereas the bits right up against Bon Mar seem to be um, a little bit more uh, wild and uh, not rustic, not the right word, uh, but a little bit more like uh, Bon Mar itself. Um, yeah. And you've got 14, 05 and 99. So one decent vintage, which may be starting to get ready to drink. The year, of course, of the uh, the fruit fly that made people panic a little bit and pick early. I, Fred is not a panicker, nor is he somebody. I mean, he, he's not a confirmed late picker, but he's never amongst the very first either. Um, I remember in 2011, when some people were starting in August, he said, it's against my religion to pick before the 1st of September. But uh, since then, he's had to. And I think the earliest he's ever done is 31st August. Um so he would typically pick in the middle. Uh, then you've got 05, that, that great vintage, um, where I think he did extremely well, really lived up to it. Uh, and then 99, uh, also a beautiful vintage, and one that's never really closed down. So I'll leave you a moment to uh, 
to check through. He's the biggest holder of Huey, by the way, though it's not huge. It's uh, 0.71 of a hectare, but um, he has he has the largest slice and would be my, my go-to Fuey. Um, next biggest is uh, Anne and Hervé Sigo with 0.5. Then Borso, 0.46. Um, which you don't see much of. Jado, 0.41. Ghislaine Bateau, you will certainly have come across, 0.25. Uh, Favorly, it's tiny, 0.19. Felatig, who are making good wines now, 0.18. And Peromino, 0.13. And those are the ones I've got figures for, but that makes up um, only about two thirds of, uh, of the total holding. So Fred's wines are never of the deepest colour, but at the same time, the colour doesn't fade very much. So you've probably still got some quite good colours there. Um, the 14 might be the lightest of them, naturally. The 5 probably the deepest, but... Um, I'll be interesting to know how the 99 is is evolving, kicking on. That's really right. Uh, the 14 is the, the latest. Yeah. By, 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 by margin. By some way, okay. Yeah. I'm going to be very interested in the next uh, few years to see how 13s and 14s evolve because they're two vintages of... Um, not bad vintages, but not considered in the first rank. And they have quite different characters. And it'll be interesting to see which people have done better in which years. Incidentally, we've just done the 2012 10-year-on tasting. And the wines are all remarkably young. Um, Frederick didn't, in fact, put in anything for 2012. But he, he sent us a magnum of Musini 2002 to amuse ourselves with instead. So that was absolutely beautiful. So uh, just to repeat for clarity, so the 14 is lighter, but, but agreeable and uh, enjoyable. The 05 is closed at the moment. And, you know, I'm not really starting 05s yet, even though what, what 17 years old, but uh, um, I'm having a few village wines, still drinking my Bourgogne Rouge from 05, but I'm trying to keep the grander wines for longer or later. Yeah, you get the intense, you get the quality of the, 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 the actually like, the old will be good. The old will be good. It's it's there, like the, you know, the, it's, it's in, like everything's there, but it just needs to open up. It's now called, it's shut down, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's it's got the qualities, but it's not yet singing in terms of giving you enjoyment on the night. But it, it, it will be there. Yeah, yeah. So intellectual appreciation more than... Uh, Production oh, right. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I feel about 05s. And I mean, this is not a vintage that's going to be possible uh, to leave them right. too long. Yeah. Um, I mean, this one is a long term And then the 99, as I say, 99 is never really shut down. I haven't drunk many of the ones which I've got simply because I haven't felt that they're beginning to move on. Uh, they retained an impressive youth. And I don't have a huge amount of old wines in my cellar. So, um, you know, I've, I've, years like that, I prefer to keep them until I definitely feel they're hitting their zenith. So I'm expecting that to be in a pretty good place, but um, not requiring drinking up. Would that be fair? 
I, I think that's very fair. I'm, I'm actually really impressed because we had a 99 Muzni maybe about six or nine months ago. Yeah. Uh, it was actually a little bit rustic, if anything. Okay. Not a, not a hint of that in this model at all. Obviously, this is the play. So I'm very impressed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the Muzni is the only vintage of roughly that era that I've been drinking at all from him is 98 where the wine was definitely lighter, but it's very pure. Uh, and it's been putting on weight slowly, uh, um, but it's not a vintage that's probably going to make really old bones. Um, I'll have to check and see if I can't remember what other vintages I've got of his, but uh, um, the 93 is not really ready yet. Um, 1990 probably is. Um, yeah. I find his wines don't do particularly well if they're in a in a sort of a big lineup of lots of people's. It is a very individual style that he has, and they're on their own. They taste as with beautiful purity. Um, sometimes they just seem to get a little bit crushed by uh, other more expressive wines um, alongside. Uh, Jasper, is there a things from like you know the early nineties to like you know like the two thousands? Um, I think there probably more regularity, but in terms of the vintages that really worked beforehand are just as good as the vintages since, uh, since I would say. Um, so yeah. Um, is there, is there a, is there a, a, a type style of vintage that you think Frederick performs better in or he embraces more. Like you said earlier on, he doesn't really like talking about the great vintages because there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, that uh, that is interesting um, uh, because I don't think that it means that he makes wines um, less good uh, in those vintages. It's just that oh, he, he personally really loves um, the years that, um that were more difficult to get right years that sort of you feel their dna uh in them um but uh yeah um no i'm just trying to think it used to be the case that you'd have vintages that really worked uh for um uh, uh christoph next door and vintages that really worked for fred um so for example 95 was a bit weak with fred uh but beautiful with christoph and i probably with 96 i would i would go with frederick more um and so on uh but it's more recently i haven't felt the same way about things no um i can't see in more recent years a particular pattern to uh what he's really got yeah, I just looked. Um, the only vintages I've got of Musini from Fred and my cellar are 1990, 96, and 2005, none of which I would want to drink yet. Maybe the 95. I've obviously finished my 98. Oh, well, has to happen at some point or other. <laughs> First world problem, Jesper. <laughs> yeah, you could say. You could say. No, but um, apart from the 05, which I think I got from Domain, but the other two I bought back in the day. Uh, when I'd imported them and when prices were very different. So, you know, that would have been a £40 bottle in those days rather than 140 to buy the empty bottle. Okay. Um, 
So those are our three QAs. We now come to Mr. Adam Bilby's uh, contribution uh, of two, two, uh, 2002s. Uh, how is Freddie uh, uh, dealing with the key site for Stylefight and like for comparison um, with Christoph? Uh, like, what kind of vintage do you think is better for Christoph and like what kind of vintage do you think is better for Freddie? Okay. Neither of them is doing anything significantly um, different in the hot years. I mean, they haven't, they aren't amongst the domains which have developed a totally new version of um, viticulture. You know, they haven't gone much higher or instead of hedging them, doing the tress thing where you roll the shoots around. Um, I think people are moving away from too much plowing. Uh, Frederick has expressed interest in um, the uh, Japanese chap who pioneered complete sort of almost wild coverage, uh, wild growing of things rather than um, super sophisticated gardening approaches. Um, but I, he hasn't actually done it as far as I can see in the vineyards. Um, I'm sure he's replanting a bit of Clé de la Maréchale, and I'm sure at that point he'll be changing the rootstocks to have rootstocks which um, ripen later and can cope with droughts better. Um, but he's against with much interference in the soil. Um, Christophe, I haven't discussed in a huge amount of detail. Um, so there, there, there aren't really specific things that you can put your hand on. Everybody, of course, is having to be much more att attentive to uh, dates of harvest, um, and both of them both of them fit in the middle. Not, neither of them are sort of dogmatic uh, decision makers on that. Uh, they will they will vary their choice according to the year and vary the order in which they pick the plots uh, if that's necessary. What I haven't seen in either of their wines. Um, a, a problem they're not two things have made a difference a negative difference uh in the hot years in other growers one is if they persist in picking a little bit later and they end up with cooked fruit that's not true of either of those domains you mentioned um and the other is if you have a particular vineyard which starts to dry out and parts of Bon Mar, that has been true of. I haven't particularly seen it in Fredericks. But we've got a Bon Mar here and an Amarez. And I won't say anything more, but I'd like you to taste those two. Um, and as I say, I just had the Musnier 2 and thought it was a wonderful wine. So I'd like you to taste those two and, and report back. And then I'll give you a few more thoughts. Yeah, I mean, O2 is a vintage which is now beginning to come round. Um, but if well made and if you didn't make the mistake of either bottling the wine or racking the wine during the incredible heat wave in summer of 03, um, the wines still have plenty of ability to to hold well, um, I would it's say. It's still youthful, Jasper. It's still very youthful. Like the nose has that, that, that lovely sort of ethyl Bon Mar edge that comes out. I, think, I always get a hint of uh, like a sort of orange peel. Um, I, yep. I always get a hint of Bon Mar, but it's still very young. Ice. Yeah, pretty impressive. Good. I mean, it used not to be my favourite uh, by any means in the Munier uh, lineup, and in fact, um, for myself and them, when I joined Berry Brothers, we didn't buy the Bon Mar um, and hope to get sort of more of the Fuet. 
Um, but uh, partly they did have a, uh, they had a plot um, which was replanted in uh, 1988, where previously the vine quality was definitely not good enough. And in fact, in 2003, um, Frederick was about to rip the rest out, but then Vineyard, which had been very grudging up to that point, suddenly gave um, a much better result in the hot year of A3, and it got a stay of execution, and it hasn't been changed uh, since. So um, most of the vines are um, planted between 1961 and 1980. So therefore, they're uh, in 2002, they were, what, sort of 20 to 40 years old, plus a little bit of the younger stuff. So it's not, it's not the oldest vineyards that he has um, uh, by any means. And it does, I mean, few, village, Fue and Amarez are clearly part of the same appellation. And and Bon Mar feels like a, you know a half brother or a, or a or a step brother or something yeah step brother um, rather than a full member of the family. It really isn't too harsh, Chambal, right? Because Bon Mar and Fue they are stylistically they're so so different to you know, the 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 village Chambal that we've tried earlier on and we've right. tried and Am as well. Hmm. I think I like the Bon Mar. That's right now, for like a total fight. I think the, the nose is sexy, and when you drink it, the, the, it, it packs a punch. Like it's, it's you know, the, the, there's complexity to it. It's, it's deep. I, I'm really enjoying that, the, the, the Boma right now. The Boma, okay. Good. And the, and the MRS is just not singing so much, a bit quieter? We haven't tried it yet. We haven't tried it yet. Okay, right. Well, tuck into the MRS. I admire your patience and forbearance and in waiting so long before you put your noses into the MRS. That's it for that. Correct. Yeah, 16. Yes, yes. O2 Zam is on its way, Jasper. Okay. No, Les Amoureux, it just has that extraordinary sex appeal, the, the, the seduction factor, uh, right right up from the start. Yeah. It, it actually tastes, uh, the Les on the nose, it could just be because it's just been poured, um, but they're open at the same time, but it does feel just a little more youthful as well. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me uh, at all, at all, yeah. Now, I mean, I think we've done some verticals of Rumier, Bonmar, and Amarez, and qualitatively, they're very close. Um, I have a preference for the Bonmar narrowly in that domain. Um, and at Frederick's, I have a, a preference for the Amarez. For Rumier, we've done some verticals of both Bonmar and Amarez, and I have a small preference for the Bonmar. I think it's just a little bit more density little bit more age-worthiness in the Montmartre. At Munier, I have a preference, however, for the Amarez, which I think is the more complete wine of the two uh, and, and reaches a higher level, is my impression. Um, on the palate, I find palate-wise, it's the, it's the again, the, fle the flesh and the texture on the Lisanne is quite, you know, it just has that, that has that flow and layers of fruit where the Montmartre is yeah. Impressive, but not quite quite the the, the substance that uh, Les Amoureux has. Yeah. 
Yep, and well done for giving it its full name, these <laughs> Um uh, Yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, sadly, it's uh, not, not a wine I see very often. He doesn't have a lot of it. He doesn't have much of either. He's got half a hectare of Amarez, 0.53 and 0.36 um, of the Bomar. So they are rarer than the Musigny or the Fouet. And a lot rarer than the Clotel Marichal. So there you go. Well, it sounds as though those two 2002s uh, have lived up to expectations and are getting into a good place to drink and giving you what you hope for tonight. It's very good news. We have three more wines to come, and we'll just introduce those, and maybe Sebastian will pour them, um, and then I will leave you to enjoy with the rest of your food. Um, so we hit the Musigny, so I'll talk about that, and then the three vintages, um, <clears throat> which are being poured in age order, and I would expect you'll have one which is definitely too young, one which might be close to its zenith, uh, and one which is probably going to be starting to fade a bit so just on those other the vintages 2005 we've already discussed at the grand cru level uh, i mean there may be enough richness of fruit still to give pleasure but i think you're going to find that it's definitely a wine that could usefully be um saved up for later 2001 is um uh, a vintage which uh, comes into um the category of nice but short of the very highest class uh and it does depend whose and i'm not so familiar i can't remember recently um uh having had one of frederick's um so let's talk about his holding of musini first of all he's the second biggest after of course the vogway there are two plots both in what they call the grand musini um grand referring to size it's not necessarily any better than the petit musini which is purely the vogue but Grand Musigny, he's got one slice from top to bottom, which is near the southern end, and the other <coughs> slice is near the northern end. And though it does go almost to the top, the, uh, the, he has plenty of rows of vines for two-thirds of the way up, and then at the top it, it rather fades. Uh, it just becomes very narrow, little finger sticking up. And he would have more, except that quite a bit went to Drouin in 1961 from memory. So it's 1.13 um, hectares, planted mostly between 1947 and 1962, with a tiny bit in 97, which won't be in any of the wines except possibly the 05. Um, and as you know, it's now no longer released at, at the time of the other wines, um, not because Frederick wants to make more money by releasing it late, but simply because he couldn't bear the fact that so many bottles were being drunk you know, a year or two after bottling and thus completely wasted. So after the from the 13 vintage, he's decided to hold the Musigny back for five years. Well done him. He did in a couple of occasions make a Vievin bottling, but like his neighbor Christophe with the Bon Mar, um, he decided that uh, uh, he, he liked neither the rest of the Musigny nor the Vievin bottling itself as much as he liked the blend of the two. And nor did he like the fact that uh, you then end up with a unicorn wine that people go crazy about, not necessarily for the right reasons. So apart from um, um, 86 and 88, uh, those are the years you might see a Musigny Vievin. Um, but after that, it's all old vines now, um, and, uh, and it's only one bottling. So um, 
I mean, with the amount he has, he'd have the right to make um, 20 barrels or something of the wine a year. But of course, he very rarely does get that much. I think it's probably only more accessible because there is a greater weight of fruit. So so that shows through more and it probably gives you a little bit more richness on the palate. But equally, there's more hidden under, <laughs> under that, uh, which is being missed by, by trying too early. But still, there's no harm in, in looking at a bottle every so often. But if you do have that wine in your cellars, um, in terms of getting the best effects, probably don't look for, at another bottle for at least five years, maybe 10. What's you know, what's your favorite Musigny? Oh, my favorite Musigny, sorry. Um, um, it would be Frederick. I think the Vougeray wine is very good. Um, De Vogue, yes, but it's been sort of in abeyance for a while. I still think the wines will come through eventually from De Vogue, uh, but they haven't been giving the sex appeal. Um, with Rumier, uh, it's so small that if I was told I could, um, you know, if I was offered Bonmar or Musigny for getting about price just for the enjoyment from Christophe, I think I'd take the Bonmar. Um, and so, yeah, I think probably Frederick would be my first call. For Fugerick, would, would it be Pierre Pinsol or the one uh, or the lady afterwards? You're not coming through very clearly on, on that one, I'm afraid. Uh, for Fugerick, would it be... Yeah. Uh, Years with Pierre Vincent, or uh, uh, I mean, the Pierre Vincent years are the uh, are the glory years uh, uh, there. Um, they're still very good since, but um, oh. Pierre, I think, had had the special touch. Um, but uh, Pascal Marchand used to make the Musnier a little bit differently from the other wines because he was a destemmer. Um, but the Musnier used to be destemmed by hand. Uh, which made it that little bit more special and uh, uh, and exciting. So uh, actually, I think the, the the joy of the vineyard probably works across all the periods. Um, but um, though Vougeray, personally, my favourite of all the vineyards is the Charme Chambertin Les Mesoyers because it's hundred year old vines more or less. Uh, the youngest would be eighty years old, and I just find it's it's absolutely sensational year in year out. Okay, anyone else with a question? Jasper. Oh, sorry. Jasper, one question. Hypothetically, you're now, you're now Frederick Munier. Uh, uh, I know what this question is going to be. One vineyard that you, if, there's one, if there's one vineyard you could own, what would it be? Or make wine from, what would it be? Okay, so um, I will reply. Uh, I have an, The question was, uh, in case people didn't hear so well, is if I were Frederick Munier, what one other vineyard would I most like to have? Uh, he might very well like to have uh, a white wine because he's planted some white Clos de la Maréchale, uh, but I'll leave that aside. I'll assume it's red. Uh, I think if you were to ask him this, he'd say he would name something very minor, um, somewhere where he could just go and make delicious wine, uncomplicated, not be worried about... Um, uh, people knocking his door down, not be worried about secondary market prices. So I think he might suggest something could even be in the oak coat, uh, for all I know. So that is probably the answer he would give. In terms of what Vineyard would I most like him to get, because I think would be most suitable to his style of winemaking, 
Well, if we go at the grander end, then I think in Von Romanet, Romanet Saint-Vivant would be his vineyard rather than Richebourg. Um, or we could we could offend the Comte Louis Michel Liger Belair by saying he should give La Romanée over to Frederic. That could be funny. Um, but uh, um, otherwise, um, what else do I think you would make uh, very well? Um, oh yeah, I mean it, it might be fun for to let the Lafarges make some Chambon Musli and let Frederic make some. Uh, some Volnay could, could be fun as well. Um, but uh, I think you get the gist of what I'm saying at any rate. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't give him one of, one of the powerful uh, um, vineyards. Yeah. Uh, it, we're going to have more storms all this week, um, hoping for not too much hail. Um, there has, there's been horrible hail down in the southwest of France. I haven't had all the details, but I think Bordeaux has been impacted and lots of other areas and obviously not just wine. Uh, hail affects everybody and what they do. Um, and Burgundy has been relatively spared. spared. Um, little bits here and there that might be sort of 15, 20% damage. So everything is really ahead of time. The flowering went through well. Um, we're basically looking for a um, second half of August harvest. So... The dates could be very similar to 2020. So is this a positive picture or like what do you call Well, it, um, what defines that is the second half of the growing season rather than the first half. But it looks as though it's going to be a hot year. The new normal. I mean, if you look at it, 18, 19, 20, 22, with just 21 being a throwback. Um, so that's where we are nowadays, I fear. Well, I hope you, it sounds as though you're having a lovely time with those wines and things like the Amaras O2 and the N16 and some of the Fuets. And now I hope the Musenies uh, will keep you in good stead. So enjoy and thank you very much. Bye bye.